Well, we're going to look at God's Word now, and you probably aren't surprised that the Bible doesn't talk about COVID-19, but it has a huge amount, an absolutely huge amount to say about times like this. And this is what I want us to do today. We're going to do some systematic theology, and that might sound a bit academic and unappealing, but really systematic theology is just listening to the whole counsel of Scripture, the whole counsel of the Bible, and how it guides us to respond, to live as God's people. Now, practically, this means we're going to look at a bunch of different passages from the Bible today. Uh, I've chosen five And from them, we're going to build a picture about what God is calling us to in times like this. There's a lot of other passages that would also apply, but I believe that these five are important. We're also going to end with a sixth point, which is not from the Bible, but from history, but is a great example for us to follow and to be encouraged by and challenged by in this time. Well, let's get into it. And I would encourage you, uh, if you don't have a Bible handy, to hit pause, make use of that pause button, and go and find one, because we're going to be jumping around the Bible, Bible, and it would be beneficial to have one near you. And our first passage today is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And there we read, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And don't we live in an atmosphere of anxiety and worry currently? People are clearing out supermarket shelves, which is a symptom of the uncertainty Uh, that lies ahead of them. But as Christians, we are called to be faithful. And this starts with our hearts and minds. Our anxiety can be a sign of forgetting God, a sign of making our situation bigger and more significant than our God. And that isn't right. That isn't the faith we are called to. Yes, we find ourselves in some trying times, some big times, some intimidating times, but they are not bigger than our God. If our hearts are anxious, we should ask the question, what place does God have in them at the moment? Is God on the throne of our heart or is something else? And that is a good question for us all to ask over these coming days. Are we spending as much time in prayer as we are spending watching the news? Now, two things here. Two things here. Firstly, this passage calls us to prayer, to putting God first in our lives, that he He is greater than that which causes us to be anxious. It does not promise us that he will answer our prayers as we want It does promise that if we put God first in our lives, that we will have a peace that doesn't make sense to this world. It doesn't make sense to this world because it is an otherworldly peace, a peace given to us by God, a peace that comes from knowing that he reigns over all and he cares for us. 
We need to remember that here. Secondly, uh, not all anxiety is misplaced. Not all anxiety is wrong. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, Paul says, Besides everything else, I face daily pressure, the daily pressure of my concern or my anxiety for all the churches. Now that, that is a right anxiety. That is a right concern. Parents, it is all right to be anxious or concerned about your kids. They are your God-given responsibility. But I believe the question here is what is our concern leading us to do? Is it stealing God from our hearts and minds? And is it stealing our peace in God? If so, then it is greater than it should be. For all of us, this stressful time is a time to lean into God in prayer. That is how we relate to him. And it is in that place, that place of prayer, that COVID-19 and everything else falls into its right place and that we can find peace. So in this time, let us be a people of prayer, that we might be a people who have peace in our God. That's our first thing. Our second passage is Matthew chapter 10 and verses 28 to 31. Matthew chapter 10 verses 28 to 31. Again, great benefit. You can just hit pause and find it and then pick it up again. Matthew 10 verse 28 though. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. These are Jesus' own words, and they come as a challenge to us to rightly order our fears that we might actually be comforted. Let me say that again. Jesus is calling us to rightly order our fears that we might actually be comforted. Now, in this passage, Jesus is not talking about a virus, but it, but it absolutely applies People, quite understandably, had a fear of those who threatened them, even threatened their lives to death. But Jesus calls us, like Paul in Philippians 4 that we just looked at, to put God in his rightful place. God is greater. On one hand, he is more fearsome. It is he who can destroy our bodies and our souls, which should be the most fearsome thing unless we are in a right relationship with him. Unless we can call out to him as our father. And that is Jesus' point. In our fear of that which can kill us, including 
COVID-19 and so many other things, enemies, cancer, genetic conditions. In all of these fears, do not forget God. Do not put a little fear in the place of God because if we do, we actually lose our peace. We lose our rest. We lose our hope that there is someone who, while great and fearsome, also cares for us. A great someone who values us more than many sparrows. And he knows each of them. The greatest one who can care for us, he has proven his goodness, his commitment to us with the life of his beloved son. Oh, cancer, COVID-19, nuclear bombs, they are fearful things. But they do not change who God is and they do not change how good he is to us and how much he cares for us. And we need to remember this. We, we need to rightly order our fears that we might find comfort and rest in these trying times. Thirdly, I want us to look at probably one of the most well-known verses, Romans 8, verses 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, we must not misread this verse or take it out of its context. It is not saying that all things, all situations are good. Not at all. There are some terrible situations, and this is one of them. It is also not saying that God works for the good of all people. Unfortunately, it is more specific than that. It is saying that in or through all situations, including this time, God is working for our good if we love him and have been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 29, that we are conformed to the image of his son, that we are made like Jesus. And it's here that this promise really starts to take focus for us. It's here that we really start to understand it. We might lose our job. We might lose a family member or two. We might lose our house. And all of those will hurt. They are terrible things. They are not good things. But in all of those, God will be working for our eternal good to make us like Jesus. That is not to say that we can't ask for things. Our first passage from Philippians 4 encouraged that. But this is calling us to see God's goals in everything. He will not waste any time in our lives, including this time. As the best parent, he is focused always focused on our Christian maturity, even if we aren't. 
But if we can shift our focus, shift our mindset to God's goals and goodness for us, then we can know his comfort and care. We can know his encouragement to us that whether it is a good day or a bad day, he is for us and has good for us. Our fourth passage for us to consider is an illustration of Jesus' called the sheep and the goats. It is from Matthew 25 and it's verses uh, 31 to 46, but I just want to focus on verses 37 to 40. So Matthew 25 verse 37, let me read just these few verses to you. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whenever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, the illustration that Jesus is giving here is about the final judgment. Jesus is painting a picture for us of those he will welcome, uh, the sheep, and those he will send away to eternal punishment, the goats. And this judgment hinges on people's response to Jesus. How did they receive him or care for him? How did they relate to him? because that is how he will relate to them. And in the illustration, uh, the people are confused. They ask the question, when when did they see we see you, Jesus, to feed you or give you a drink, or importantly for our situation, see you sick to look after you? And Jesus' response in verse 40 is key. Note this verse. He identifies himself with his brothers and sisters, with Christians, whoever they are. If we have served and loved them, then in Jesus' mind, we have served and loved him. And we see this elsewhere in the Bible. In Acts 9 verse 4, Jesus uh, blinds Paul on the road to Damascus and confronts Paul saying, Paul, Paul, Why do you persecute me? Now, this is the the risen Jesus, but here he is identifying an attack on his people as an attack on himself. I believe, brothers and sisters, the significance of this truth is something we have largely lost. And, And I want to press in here. Let me be clear. This this passage is not about caring for non-Christians. Some well-meaning people apply it that way, but that is a mistake. And quite frankly, it's abusing Jesus' words here. This passage calls us to something far more challenging. It calls us to see the church, other Christians, how Jesus sees them, as his Whether they are a stranger to us, whether they are the least in the eyes of the world or not, in Jesus' eyes, what we do for them, we do for him. 
When we care for our sick, our sick brother and sister in Christ, we care for Jesus. We serve Jesus. And you can see how this applies here. You can see how this applies to our situation. I'm not saying we should be foolish here and and get infected. But I am saying that in this time, in this time, we get to serve Jesus. I hope we will have eyes to see him as he sees himself. You wouldn't want to miss that opportunity, would you, that if Jesus was before you and needed your help, that you passed him by. That would be a great mistake, wouldn't it? Let us be sheep in this time. Let us be people who see the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as Jesus sees them, and let us serve them wisely, but with great joy, for it's not missed by Jesus. Uh, It is what he sees and takes note of. It is what he looks for. Fifth and finally for our Bible passages, uh, Luke 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan. While we are to care for each other as believers, as if caring for Jesus, we are also called to love our neighbors. Uh, We don't get to ignore them. And the setting for this parable in Luke 10 is that an expert of the law, an expert of the Bible, has asked Jesus who his neighbor is. In effect, does he have to love to care for everyone? And Jesus responds with this well-known parable. And if you know the parable, a man is beaten up and left for dead on the side of a road, and two men pass by and avoid him. Uh, one is a priest and the other a Levite. Now both, both quite likely had their own reasons to avoid this man. There was a risk that they might be made ceremonially unclean. There was a risk that they might suffer the same fate as this man. But then in Jesus' parable, the Samaritan comes along and shows care, shows compassion for the injured man. And Jesus asks the expert of the law in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus replied to him, go and do likewise. And aren't Jesus' words here for us? We are called to go and do likewise. Yes, in our lives, but particularly at this time, we have a chance to care for our neighbors. And let's be honest about this. It will be inconvenient. Uh, It will cost us. It might even threaten us, but it will be the right thing to do. It will be what we are created for, and it is what we are called to. Let us show mercy to our neighbors at this time. And I said I wanted to share one example from church history. Uh, We are the first to face COVID-19, but we are not the first to face a pandemic. 
1527, Martin Luther wrote a pamphlet called Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And I want us to hear Luther's wisdom here and the different parts of the Bible he embodies with his response. Let me, let me read what he wrote to you. You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. We can be certain that God has allowed it. He has allowed this plague. But we can also be certain that it is from the enemy. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. And so should we. That is a request that is completely in line with Philippians 4. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. And indeed, let us be wise and think of others before ourselves, both what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid person or place, but will go freely. And what a great example to us that is. And in this particular case, Luther and his wife, uh, Katharina, stayed to minister to the people of their city. Uh, Particularly important for them were Jesus' words from Matthew 25 that whatever they did for the least of Jesus' people, they did for him. And while other Christians died, Luther and his wife were protected. They were spared from the plague and they ministered throughout it. May we show Luther's wisdom and Luther's faith in this time. So in times like this, how, how are we to respond, brothers and sisters? Firstly, let us be a people of prayer, a people who look to our God and Savior as greater than our worries. Secondly, let us have a right fear of God as greater than the worst threat to us that we might also know his comfort. He is bigger than our worldly fear, He is big enough to comfort us as well. Thirdly, let us be assured that God is using this for our good. Come what may, God will use this time to shape us to be more like Jesus. Fourthly, let us see the church like Jesus does. Let us be a sheep and serve Jesus' people that we might serve him and love him, and indeed be received by him. Uh, Fifthly, let us show mercy to our neighbors. Whatever the cost is, may we show the love and mercy of God to them, 
as we know we have received from him. And lastly, let us remember those who lead the way before us. We are blessed with a great history of faithful witnesses to Jesus who have gone before us. May the likes of Martin Luther and his wife inspire us to take up our cross and follow Jesus as well until we see him face to face. Let's pray together. Almighty God, in this time we do indeed want to be faithful to you. And we look to you, our maker, our redeemer, and our perfecter. O Lord, with all of our our worries and questions on our heart and mind at this time, we look to you and trust in you and we pray, be glorified in us, your servants. Use us. May we serve your people, our brothers and sisters, as if serving you. May we love our neighbors and reach out and show forth your goodness and your glory, that we might indeed see your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, you, you are the light of the world. Do not fear the darkness. Shine brightly and make your Savior knowing. God bless and keep you. I'll talk to you soon.